0: Ever been under pressure? You feel like the the weight of the world is on your shoulders. Maybe you're the kind of person that you are really calm under pressure, but you freak out when everything's okay. Is that you? You know who you are. I was reading something this week about athletes and the the pressure that athletes are under in, in these huge, gigantic sporting events. And it gave a, a description of what pressure does. And this was the description it gave. Pressure affects your coordination. It affects your focus. It affects your judgment. It increases your heart rate. And it creates unwanted tension. I, I know that feeling. A few years ago, I went to a barbecue place, walked inside. The lady said, I'm sorry, we're out of barbecue. All of those things happened to me in that moment. I lost focus. I lost coordination. My heart rate went up. I I started getting tense. I didn't know what to do. There was no barbecue. At a barbecue place. We all know that moment of feeling under pressure. Under pressure. Champion golfer Annika Sorenstam, she won 94 professional tournaments, and she won 10 majors. In an article a few months ago, she was talking about the fact that she never hit a bad shot. Never hit a bad shot. And then she quickly added, because I don't remember them. I don't remember them. This is what she went on to say. You've got to learn how to throw bad shots out and stand over the next shot and say, okay, this is the most important shot. She calls it the the now shot. And she goes on to explain the now shot this way. The shot you're hitting now is the most important. 10 minutes ago is irrelevant. And who knows what's going to happen in another 10 minutes. That's good advice. Good advice if you're in trouble on the golf course, but it's good advice for handling pressure in anything in life. The ability to to focus on the now, on the moment, because now in that moment is when the pressure is the most real. But what happens if your under-pressure moment can't be solved by hitting a good seven iron? What happens if you're under the pressure moment? Can't be solved by hitting a, a clutch free throw at just the right time. What happens when your under pressure moment is beyond your control? Like completely outside of your control? Is there any help for those types of pressure moments? Well, there is. There's a a now shot just for you. And what is that shot? Let's see if we can find out. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. The Apostle Paul writes this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. The greatest pressure that you will ever be under, the greatest pressure that any person will ever be under is the pressure of the curse of the law. And there is a now shot that has been made by Jesus to release you from the pressure of the curse. And so believing in and trusting in and relying on Jesus Christ, clinging to Jesus as your ultimate hope for salvation in this life and in the life to come, that salvation releases you from the curse. The curse no longer has its grip on you. So, what does all that mean? What is this curse of the law? Well, Paul told us a couple of sentences back in verse 10. He says this, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. Paul's quoting the words of the Old Testament from the book of Deuteronomy, and and what he's saying is this, Look, this isn't my opinion. This isn't my thought. I am passing on to you what God handed down to Moses. And what he handed down was this, that if you don't perfectly and continually keep the law of God, then you fall short of the glory of God. If you don't perfectly and continually keep the law of God, then by default you fall under the curse of the law. That's the message. So, you don't have to share your hands, but how many of you have perfectly and continually kept God's law this week? Or if you don't know anything about God's law, how many of you have perfectly and continually kept the speed limit this week? How many of you have perfectly and continually only had positive, wholesome thoughts about your parents or your kids or your boss or your coworkers or your politicians or your pastor? In other words, all of us have done something wrong this week, okay? We thought something wrong. We said something wrong. We did something wrong. We ate something wrong, you know. It may not was a good idea that I've had about 10 hot dogs this week. That's probably a wrong idea. It felt right the whole time, but maybe not the best of ideas. We all have a a wrong thing in our life from this past week. But truthfully, some people might be thinking, I don't know, I'm— i not trying to be arrogant, but I'm kind of looking back over the week, and I don't know. I can't really think of something that I did wrong. Okay, well, how about this? Did you do everything right? You see, abiding by the law of God is not just avoiding the wrong things. It's, it's doing the right things. So sorry, no offense, but all of us, one way or the other, we're guilty. We either did the wrong thing or we didn't do the right thing. There's no running away from that. And the message that God gave Moses about 3,400 years ago that Paul repeated about 2,000 years ago that we're repeating today, that message is this. If you do not perfectly and continually keep God's law, then you fall under the curse of the law. And that curse, when it is fully played out, is everlasting death and everlasting separation from God. Now, somebody might say, well, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in God's laws. Okay? But do you believe in death? Do you believe in in dying? In 1948, C.S. Lewis was writing an article about living in the time of the atomic bomb. And this is what he said. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love we're already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. Death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. So death is a certainty. I know, I'm really bringing the room down, right? So death's a certainty. So again, the question is, do you believe in death? You may not believe in God's law, but do you believe in death? And maybe let's take it one step further. Do you believe in life after death? Many people do not, they don't believe in life after death. So let me just give kind of one reasonable answer to the question of is there life after death, or at least maybe an an argument against the the reality that there's no life after death. And I'll, I'll begin that answer with a question, do you believe in right and wrong? Do you believe in right and wrong? And if you do believe in right and wrong, that means that that somewhere there's some, some laws that you're paying attention to because otherwise right would have no purpose, right? I mean, does right have a purpose? Is there some kind of ultimate reason that we do right? Or is right just some way to have a good life while you're on earth? Well, that math doesn't work because there's a lot of people that do wrong and they think that they have a good life on earth. In other words, there are people like parents and spouses and teenagers and and politicians and athletes and dictators and and criminals. There's, There's all kinds of people that do the wrong thing, and they seem to get away with it. They seem to never have any accountability for doing the wrong thing. So if we say that there's this notion of right or wrong, but there's no ultimate purpose to the right, then by default what we're saying is this. There are no consequences for the wrong. If we say that doing right has no ultimate purpose, that it's just a thing, then we are also saying that doing wrong has no consequences. Do whatever you want. Now, does that make logical sense? Does that make rational sense? You can be a Christian, you can be a Muslim, you can be a Buddhist, you can be an agnostic, you can be an atheist, you can be a number of other things. That doesn't make rational, logical sense, no matter what you believe. What makes reasonable, rational, logical sense is that there is some ultimate purpose behind right and behind wrong. They aren't just these random things. There has to be some ultimate purpose behind it. And the Bible when it comes to life and death and life after death and, and law and right and wrong, the Bible has an answer that speaks to all of it. And that answer is, is very simple. It goes like this. Paul, writing to the church at Rome in Romans one thirty two, says this. They know the ordinance of God. Every human being who is ever born into the world knows the ordinances of God. They know the law of God. God. Now, that doesn't mean that every human being is a Christian, nor does it mean that every human being knows all the Old Testament laws by heart naturally. It just means that every human who's been born into this world, past, present, and future, every human, on their heart, they know the law of God. The law of God has been written on their heart. That's how we know right from wrong because God ordained them both. Because if right from wrong or right over wrong were left up to us to be created, it would never be created. We have proven that pretty significantly over the last 12 months. If right or wrong depends on us, it would never be created from social violence to social media to social opinions to political violence to political media to political opinions to to medical viruses to virus opinions even down to the plans and activities of the church we continue to prove that we can agree on right from wrong see our opinions our our experiences come into every single thing in the universe, so we're subject, when it comes to right or wrong, to all kinds of things. So we desperately need something that is objective. We need something that's outside of us, because you and I are never going to get right and wrong right all the time. We need objective truth. And so God's law is the only objective law in the universe. God's law is the only objective truth in the universe. The only way we know what's right from wrong is because of God. And so Paul's writing to the Galatians, because there's a problem. And, And the problem is this. There were some people in the church that were saying if you kept the law, you'd be released from the curse. They were saying if you could keep up with the law, then the curse would go away. Another word for that is is legalism. Legalism does this. It kind of approaches God and says, hey God, here's what I've done. I, I did my devotional book this morning. I blessed my food at lunch today. I worked really hard at my job today. I worked really hard at, at school today. I, I gave some money online to the church today. I, I bought my grandkids some ice cream today. So because of these things, God, be good to me. Show me mercy. Keep my family safe and warm tonight. Someone has said, what that is, is I'm trying to, trying to bribe God. So I say, here, here God, here's, here's some good stuff, so do something for me. And what Paul's saying is that when it comes to the issues of life and death and life after death, what Paul's saying is if you try to use the law as kind of your angle to God, as a way to kind of bribe God, you actually are under the curse. You actually fall underneath the curse by trying to bribe God. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus told a story about a couple of guys who went to church one day to pray. One of the guys was a long-standing church member, maybe a a pastor or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or or committee chairman. And the other guy was was a tax collector. He was just visiting that day. He, He wasn't a member. And the the long-standing church leader, he got up on stage and very loudly so other people could hear, he, he prayed. And he said, God, I'm so glad I'm not like other people. I'm glad I'm not like those redneck crooks. I'm glad I'm not like those criminal politicians. I'm glad I'm not like adulterers or like that tax collector over there in the back. No, 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 God, I, I fast twice a week. God, I tithe on all of my income but then Jesus said the, the tax collector, he was, he was back in the corner. He, he wouldn't even lift up his head. His head stayed bowed and, and kind of in a loud whisper, he was praying, God, I am so arrogant. I have such a prideful attitude. I am so opinionated. I am so rebellious. I am so determined to get my way. God, I am such a sinner. Please forgive me. Please have mercy on me. Jesus turned to the crowd that he was teaching, and he said, the tax collector, not the church leader, went home right with God that day in other words what Jesus was saying and even telling that story was hey which one are you which one are you are you the the kind of arrogant religious legalist and you're taking your sinner's prayer and your baptism and your church membership and you're putting in a, a nice gold offering plate and you're holding up to God saying hey look Look what I got. Or are you the humble Christian and you're taking your sinner's prayer and you're taking your baptism and you're taking your church membership and you're holding it close to your heart as precious reminders that you were under the curse. You weren't a good kid. You weren't a good girl or a good boy. You weren't a nice young man or a nice young lady. You were under the curse curse. So we should be very wary of standing on the stage and praying out loud. We should be more like the tax collector, humble inside, going, I can't believe I've been released from the curse. The reason we're adjusting things next week is we want you to help people find out how to be released from the curse. We're not changing your traditions. We're not trying to mess up your family sentiments. We're wanting to be a place where people hear there is a way to be released from the curse. And we also want to be sure that doesn't just happen one Sunday a year. We want it to be a pattern of who we are. With gracious firmness, Paul is writing to the Galatians and to us, And he's trying to get us to see the law will not save you. Why? Because you can't keep it. You can't. You can't keep the law. You cannot perfectly and continually keep the law of God. You can't do it. So somebody might say, "Well, (laughs) well, if the law doesn't save, what good is it? Here's what's good about the law. The law helps us see that we desperately need to be rescued. We desperately need to be redeemed. By who? Listen again to what Paul said in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. About 1,300 years before Jesus was born, it was kind of common practice that a, a criminal might be stoned to death for their crimes, and they would be hung on a tree out in public as kind of a public display of the consequences of rebellion and sin. Jesus was hung on a tree. But Jesus did not rebel. Jesus did not sin. We sin, we rebel. Even when we know God's law, we'll do the opposite. So we fall under the curse and, and we deserve it, but Jesus did not deserve to be under the curse. But what Jesus did was he became a curse for us. He became a curse for you and for me. He became a curse for our sin. He took our sin on himself. He took the curse on on himself. Jesus was providing the only way for you to be redeemed from the curse. The word redeemed here means to be freed because a payment has been made. If you're a Christian, please don't miss this truth. Jesus redeemed you with his blood. Someone said, here on earth, money talks. But it doesn't talk in heaven. In heaven, blood talks. Jesus has made a way for you to be redeemed. Without Christ, the only thing in the account of your soul is the curse. Without Jesus, the only thing in the account of your soul is the curse. There's no other thing there but because of the blood, because of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, the account of Jesus is slam full of righteousness, of being right with God. So when you repent of your sin, when you turn from your ways, when you turn to God, when you acknowledge that you are a breaker of God's holy, perfect, just law, an amazing transfer of funds occurs. The righteousness of Jesus is transferred from his account into your account. You can't earn that credit in your account. You can't make the deposit of that into your account. The only way the curse is removed and the righteousness of Jesus is applied is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is no other way. Christ redeems us from the curse of the law. He, he makes the payment. He changes your account. Simon Peter said it this way, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. The Prince of Peace bore our sins in his own body. The Lamb of God bore our sins in his own body. The king of all kings bore our sins in his own body. His truth is matchless. His love is matchless. And his death is matchless. We just sang about it. How does it go? Crown him with many crowns the Lamb upon the throne. I love this next part. Awake, my soul, and sing of him who died for me and who died for you, matchless death. No one can match that death. No one can match his love. No one can match his truth. There is no one like Jesus. Now, someone may say, that sounds like great religious theology. It sounds like a really, really good idea, but but how does it impact my life right now? Well, if you're in Christ, then it impacts it in about a gazillion ways. And if you're not in Christ, likewise, it impacts your life in about a gazillion ways. Here's just one way. One way if you're a Christian that that this truth about Jesus, what he's accomplished, his redemption, him bearing your sin, one way that it impacts your life. It's been two years and about eight weeks since my friend Maxine went to be with Jesus. One time we were sitting in a Bible study and she raised her hand and she asked me this question. She said, so if God forgives us, How do we forgive ourselves and move on? How do we forgive ourselves and move on? I remember that day, I said a couple of things to her, and then like two weeks later, I was like, I think I got some more answers because because I began to think more deeply about that question. So how do you move on? This is one of the, the best answers that I could offer you. Here's how you move on. He bore our sins in his own body to redeem and release us from the curse. That's how you move on. If you're in Christ this afternoon, no matter what the headline says, nothing changes that. If you're in Christ, no matter what the headline says tomorrow, nothing changes that. If you're in Christ, if you hear something you don't want to hear from the doctor this week, nothing will change this truth about Jesus. See, the now shot of Jesus is always now. It's always now. Ten minutes ago is a bit irrelevant. And we have no idea what will happen in 10 minutes, but right now, in this moment, we can say this. Jesus Christ bore our sins in his own body to redeem us from the curse of the law, and nothing can change that. So we put everything we have in that truth, and that's how we move. When we look at the past year of all we've hated, of all we've been afraid of, of all that's made us angry, we need to, because of the gospel, get over all of it. And we need to embrace the now shot of the gospel. We need to embrace the the now shot that Jesus for our sins and his own body to redeem us and release us from the curse. And no power of hell and no scheme of man and no headline will ever change that. Dear Christian, let's live in some victory in Jesus. Let's live as if the curse has been lifted from our lives. Let us not live as if this earth is actually home let's live on this earth with our eyes toward the currency of heaven which is not money not fame not even safety and comfort but the currency is the blood of Jesus and his blood has redeemed us from the curse he bore our sins in his own body and what does that mean for you it means your sin not in part but the whole of it has been nailed to the cross and you bear it no more. And you should praise the Lord for that reality. Just, just think about it. If you're not a Christian, this is gonna be heavy and I'm sorry, but, but it's, it's just, it's God's truth to you. If you're not a Christian, you are bearing the full weight of your sin. You're bearing the full weight of the curse. So we would plead with you to come to Christ and be free, to have the curse removed. And if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, just, you don't have to say it out loud, maybe just say it to yourself. Just, just repeat these words in your mind after me. I bear them no more. I bear them no more. We can boldly and courageously and joyfully with great excitement step into any moment of our life with that truth. I bear them no more. It's the hope of our life that when we breathe our last, we bear them no more. When we go to bed tonight, we bear them no more. No matter who's in office, we bear them no more. No matter what virus racks our body, we bear them no more. No matter what aggravates us or, or causes us fear or anger or frustration or anything, we bear them no more. We bear them no more. Dear Christian, this is our hope. We bear them no more. We bear them no more. one pastor says this, you do not have to carry your sins or be burdened by them. You do not have to wake up with guilt or go to bed with guilt. You can bank your hope on the commitment of God in Jesus. And what commitment is that? Here's the commitment. He bore our sins in his own body to redeem us from the cross. Jesus bore our sins in his own body to redeem us from 1952 a story was published about a man who was translating the Bible and he was trying to translate it into the um, Bambara language of, of West Africa and so he had a, a, a man who, who knew the language, who was helping him and, and he asked him a question, he goes, hey how do I translate God redeemed us in your language and this is what the man told him, he said translate it this way, God took our heads out and he said, what? And so he went on to explain. He said, there was a time when slave traders were here in our country, and they would come, and they would take people prisoner. And then they would take these iron collars and they'd put the iron collars around their neck. And, and as they got more prisoners, what they would do, is they'd take a chain and the chain would go through all of those iron collars. And so there'd be one chain with all these iron collared prisoners and they'd make their way from wherever they were in the country back toward the coast to the ships. And along the way, what would happen is somebody from some of the neighboring villages, they might recognize one of the prisoners as a, a family member or a friend. And they would do everything they can To to pull together money To purchase To redeem Their freedom And when the money was collected And the money was paid The the slave traders would go over And they would Take the prisoner's head Out of the iron collar And so the man said Look, when, when you're writing this Just put that in Jesus God Takes our head out And they'll know exactly what you mean. Friend, Jesus bore our sins in his own body to take our head out of the curse. About 2,000 years ago, he rode a donkey into town on his way to do the one thing, the only thing the now shot that can take us from under the pressure of the curse Jesus bore our sins in his own body to redeem us to release us from curse curse And that's why today, not to me and not to you and not to anybody else, that's why today we say Hosanna. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord.